This podcast is proudly brought to you by Sky Racing and Ingress, number one in its field. There's been a suggestion in recent times that respected Sydney horse trainer Rod Craig has retired and ridden off into the sunset. I was very pleased to run into Rod recently at the Inglis Riverside Complex just a couple of days before the classic sale got underway. He told me that his absence was the result of major back surgery and a long period of rehabilitation. He decided a year ago to close down his Warwick Farm training operation and give himself plenty of time to have the surgery and to get over it. Rod Craig is a natural subject for a racing podcast. He had a very healthy wind strike rate over a long period of years and that magical period when he trained the eight-time Group 1 winner, Intergaze. Rod was horse-mad from a very early age, spending ten years in Pony Club, competing mostly at the Bankstown Showground, which is still in use as a major harness racing venue. He had no idea that Pony Club would one day lead him to the winner's circle at places like Royal Randwick and Flemington. And Rod's online to talk to us now. Great to catch up, Rodney. It was good to see you at the English Complex the other day. Oh, lovely to talk to you, John. Yeah, it's been a long time, mate. Long time. Been, so, yeah, but uh, nice to talk to you. Rod, you spent part of your rehab period in Queensland and you tell me you could easily have settled there. But you decided to return to Sydney mainly because your mum, Roberta, or Robbie as she's best known, is 95 years old and she still lives at Roselands in Sydney. Yeah, that's right, John. She's uh, actually 95 in September, so she's uh, on the way to that. And, uh, yeah, she's um, uh, she's well in herself, but, you know, the years are getting on, and being up there, we'd ring up at night time, and she's a little bit hard the hearing department. She wouldn't answer the phone. You think, you she hasn't fallen over or something. So mm. it was really a case that, uh, you know, we decided to pack up and come back. But to answer your question, I could live there very easily. You know, it's a much more relaxed life. And I've been going there since I was five or six with mum and dad staying at Kira and those places. And, mm. and uh, you know, we just like it up there. So uh, one day maybe. You were an only child. You were born in Redfern. You grew up on the south side of Lakemba, which later became known as Roselands. Now, it's hard to believe, Rod, that you could find a paddock at Roselands back in those days, but there was an odd one, and that's where you learned to ride your first pony. That's right, John. Uh, actually, our back fence was uh, when Dad first built up there. It was um, was just two strands of wire, and behind that there was cows and sheep and that sort of stuff. It was a, because it's all built out now. There's probably thirty or forty or fifty new homes, well, not new homes now, but homes in there. But mm. that was just all paddock and. Uh, so I just, you know, was always at mum and dad to get a pony and like everything they did, they were pretty well done. You know, they are wonderful to me. So they bought me a they bought me a bay mare about a 13-year-old and I really learned to ride on her and and uh, and just went from there. So at one stage I had uh, built me a couple of boxes up the backyard and it was just a normal building block, bigger than what they are these days. But uh, And I had two ponies there. So, uh, yeah, and then going, going to, well, as you said, going to, Jim Carner, we used to ride along Canterbury Road, ride one, leave one, and from Roselands to uh, to um, the showground there at Bankstown, mm. and, and then ride back. Pony Club, Rod, has always been a wonderful activity for horse-loving kids. It teaches them how to care for the animal, 
It teaches them how to win and how to lose, and it keeps them occupied. That's the most important thing. Great, John. I mean, I think six of us in the street ended up with horses and, you know, we, we all joined, I think it was Roseland's Pony Club in those days and uh, before Roseland's Shopping Centre was built. And, and uh, you know, we, uh, as you say, it taught you how to dress dress a horse to feet properly and mm. and attend to them and, uh, you, you know, better, better than anybody. They literally talk to you if they're sick or whatever. And mm. from an early age, you knew when they weren't well in that. And uh, so, no, it was a great, great understanding with them. You rode Pony Club for a decade and you obviously attained a pretty good level of horsemanship. Could you sit on? Uh, well, <laughs> I suppose I could, mate. Uh, yeah. I ended up riding in a radio of Bermagui and, and had a go at different things and I rode in a couple of races at, as an amateur rider mm. at Bong Bong and those places in the early days. Um, just I really only did that just to not be able to bag a jockey because he got stuck behind a horse somewhere and couldn't get off and... Like you see a lot of people do these days, they've never touched horse, let alone being on one at doing 60 kilometres an hour with half a ton underneath you. So uh, mm-hmm. that was one of the best things I think I've done. So, uh, yeah, enjoyed it. Well, at age 15, you joined the workforce. You got a job with that august institution known as the <laughs> NRMA, and you were there for a hell of a long time. 20 years, John. 20 years, uh, yep. Yeah, to, to 80 and then, uh, um, yeah, so it was 20 great years with some wonderful people and, uh, yeah, it was a, a great upbringing, but I also did the horses in the meantime and, mm. uh, as I think I told you the other day, when I started with Mr Norman Brown at Randwick and I spent a long time with him uh, before work and weekends and holidays and that sort of stuff, you know, so that was mm. the best learning curve I ever received. Now, Rod, Norman Brown, you have dropped a name there. I can remember Norm Brown and his wife, Ada, wasn't it? Ada, that's right. Yeah, I used to see them way back when I was calling uh, provincial races. They they seemed to be always at Gosford and Wyong, Hawkesbury and Kembla Grange. They'd always come and have a chat. And you absolutely shocked me the other day when you tell me that Norm Brown is still alive. He's 101. Yeah, he's 101 this week, I think it is, Johnny. Um we went to his 100th birthday party in the nursing home. He's into the Gold Coast last year and, uh, you know, he's very tired and that sort of thing, which you'd expect at that age. But uh, mm. no, it was wonderful to see him, you know. He's been a great part. I had two families growing up, him and Ada and my mum and dad, you know. So mm, I, was, lovely. I was blessed, yeah. He had a number of good horses, Rod. The best, I'm sure, was our Cobber, who won a new market and ran second to Fine and Dandy in a Doncaster. Might have been Fine and Dandy's second Doncaster. Yeah, I think it was, John. Um, he's a wonderful horse, and he had two bad tendons. Mm. <laughs> That's how good he was. Um, just a marvellous horse. And and uh, Robert, which is Mr Brown's um, second oldest son, um, he, he did everything with him, and mm. and uh, he was a bit of a handful of horse, uh, being a stallion, but uh, wonderful mm. horse, wonderful galloper. He was by sorry, sorry, mate. I was going to say he was by a very successful sprint stallion, wasn't he? Port Vista, Port Vista, flying machines they were, yeah. Mm. Well, you helped out at Norm Brown's stables for about fourteen years, all up, working for the NRMA the whole time, and you rode work rod in that era. Did John? Yeah, that was wonderful. Over the days of George Moore and Ethel Mully and beautiful old Jack Thompson and. Mm. And, uh, yeah, um, 
wonderful times. Jackie Waterhouse and Billy Kamer, they were doing a lot of our stable work at the time, so you were riding work with them, you know, and mm. at times and not all the time because Ronnie Luke was our stable apprentice. He was Mr. Brown's nephew. He did most of the stuff, but just trotting the horses out in the middle and swapping over with mm. those blokes, you know. It was just fantastic. All wonderful riders in their own right, weren't they? Yep, exactly, you know. And they'd help you. They'd help that you need to be riding work or something and they come past, they kick your elbows in or you're riding too short and mm. giving you advice, you know. Not yeah. that I was ever much of a rider in that regard, but it was uh, all helpful. Mm. Did the thought ever creep into your mind back then that you might like to be a jockey? It did, John, yeah, but I was. Um, I, I fell off one of my ponies and that broke my leg and I was in plaster for yeah, five months and... <laughs> and <laughs> And it slowed me up, and I put on weight. You know, I was much too heavy. I was yeah. about nine, eight and a half, nine stone at that time. So that was by the by, you know. So then it turned to mm. one day maybe taking up training. So uh, mm. yeah, just a, just a progression. You've remained very friendly with Norman Brown's sons, Peter and Robert. And when yes. Peter applied for a trainer's license, he set up shop at Canterbury which wasn't rare back then. There were quite a number of trainers uh, working on the Canterbury course. You made the move with him. I did, John, yes, because Mr Brown decided he was going to go to the Gold Coast and semi-retire with mm. Mrs Brown and uh, it left a hole at Ramwick and so Robert got his licence and got on Ramwick and Peter got a licence and he had to go to Canterbury. Mm. So um, I went to Canterbury with Pete, you know, and uh, yeah, we had some good times there. Mm. Now, Pete got a pretty handy three-year-old filly, didn't he, at that time? He did, mate, yeah. She's, uh, he, um, I can't think where he got, where we bought her from, but uh, she, uh, I think, told you she ran, or you can tell the story, but she ran third in the eights one time, so. Uh, yeah, to Leilani. To Leilani, yeah. Although Leilani won by six lengths with Roy Higgins, and the mm. second horse was a horse called, um, I can't, Peter Cook rode it, uh, mm. little big trained it. Yeah. Can't think anyway, but uh, and then she runs third. And yeah. her name was what? Royal Baroness. Royal Baroness, yeah. Goodness me. You know. The second horse was a horse called Lawn, actually. Lawn. Pretty good brood there. Yeah. End of the day. Uh, orange with the purple cap, Lawn. That's right. Now, Rod, people would say back then that you couldn't train a stayer on the Canterbury track. There was another Canterbury trained filly that won a Victorian Oaks. Uh, Bonnie Bell. Bonnie Bell. Ken Chilby. Yeah, yeah. Ken Chilby, yeah. one of Victorian got, Oaks at Flemington. I'm not sure she didn't win the Queensland Oaks too or she just got beaten in it. So mm-hmm. uh, You could train anything there, John. We had just two cinders tracks and an inside grass, but, I mean, strike me lucky. Uh, Jack Denham trained plenty of good horses from there and, mm. and uh, yeah, so uh, it's a wonderful track and even the course proper. I think mean, they've literally done nothing with it. It's probably the best racing surface in Sydney. Mm. Rod, what prompted you to take out your own trainer's licence? Uh, I think I just got to the stage where uh, I thought it was time to, to have, have a go at it. It was only part-time in those days and because I was still at the NRMA and my mother's boss, um, he just said, you're going to train one day. I said, oh, he said, i got a, I got a three-year-old gelding in the paddock. You're going to have him to start with. And uh, So I give it a bit of thought and I thought, oh, well, I'll, I'll – um, Go down and have a look at it. So I just jumped on it, rode a bear back around the paddock. And mm. He said, it's just been broken in, you know. I said, oh, well, anyway, it's too late now. I'm on it. So mm. uh, got to the stage where bought it up and then I applied for my licence and uh, he ended up being my first winner. Yeah, and he was called? 
He was called Mia Culpa. Mm. And how many did he win for you? I think he only won about two or three, John. I could be corrected, mate, but um, yeah. I had the one in work and, and then uh, I uh, was at Billy Pickens actually at the time, uh, a few boxes in his main place behind his house where he lived and mm. him and young Bill and the whole family, they were great to me, you know, they really looked after us and and uh, I used to help him with the trotters in the morning and that a little bit and uh, also uh, he had a couple of yearling or two-year-olds, uh, yearlings they were, to go to the sales and asked me if I could pull them around a bit and get their mouth right so they could be led properly around at the sales and I ended up asking him what he wanted for them and uh, he said, uh, oh, the chestnut horse, I, I want I think 8,000 for and I think they wanted about 18 or 20 for the grey horse and uh, mm-hmm. so I seen some of my mates at the NRMA and they said, oh, I'll buy the chestnuts. <laughs> <laughs> buy the cheap one. <laughs> Oh, the cheap one. I should have <laughs> yeah. bought the other one. I should have bought the other one because yeah. the grey horse was um, a pretty good galloper. Um, trying to think of his name. Oh, right? I know who he was. Yeah, grey receiver. Grey receiver. Yeah, what yeah. a horse. Won a Stradbroke. I think it was called yeah, the Elders of the Year. He won. Bobby Thompson the elders, trained yeah. Bobby, Bobby Thompson trained him beautifully. You know, he won a fair few races with him. Mm. And the other horse I brought was a horse we named Born Red. Oh. So he won about. He won quite a few races for us. So. Yeah, he did. Born red. He was by a horse called Princely Son, wasn't he? That's that's right, John. Yep. Goodness me. So yeah. the first time you saw him, you were mouthing him up when he was a yearling. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Mm. Billy had a Billy had a big sand roll up in the back back up the back of the yard, and that and it was beautiful to pull him around and lunge him around, and then just mm. you know handle them a bit so they were quite adapted when they go to the go to the sales. So that mm. uh, only the other one went through the sales, I think. Um, the grey receiver is the only one right because we bought this boat. Yeah. Now, Rod, born red was the horse to get you into big trouble once with your employer. <laughs> did, John, yes. Um, I, I did the wrong thing, mate. He won a couple of races first up at Kembler and three, I think, and uh, then I decided there was a 1900 at uh, Canterbury, the non-metropolitan winners, I think it was in those days, and uh, or just a maiden it was. On a Wednesday. On a Wednesday, so yeah, I yeah. decided to uh, take the day off. It was a sickie, and uh, <laughs> and of course there was no. It was only Channel Nine did the uh, the TVs in those days, and no Sky Channel, and uh, yeah. So I didn't expect the horse to do anything, but of course um, Graham Horson was riding him, and Graham said, "I think you can win this." So I can't beat these things, you know, city horse and city horses. And anyway, Johnny come out and he won quite easy. And, uh, of course, me getting a bit excited, probably, I'm not sure it was my first city runner or, you know, I hadn't had many before, but if, if I did, mm. um, I've run down Pat Neiman and, and uh, Keith Robbins was doing the interviews in those days and, you know, for the paper and that. And mm. So uh, I'm Pat Neiman and so forth. And so the day goes over, I go back, get everything done at the stables. So I get up the next morning, do the horses, go down to Canterbury to get on the train to go into town. Open the back page of the telegraph up, and here I am, here patting the horse the whole page. (laughs) Serves you right. (laughs) Oh, mate, I went white. So so I got into town, and I'm walking up Barrack Street, where the NRMO was in Clarence Street, and they had two of those revolving doors which led into the office. Yeah. And uh, it was uh, on every pane of glass was a photo from the telegraph of me (laughs) with the horse. I, I didn't. I couldn't walk in there. So next door to the NRMA was the blood bank. So I walked up the blood bank, and I'm just sitting down on the seat where everybody's waiting to get blood. Yeah. The woman came up. And she said, "You all right?" And I said, 
yeah, I sort of, yeah, you know, and I told her what happened. And she said, you're a bit white. And uh, so anyway, so I, I got my composure. I walked up and walked in the office because they're all clapping and cheering. And yeah. one of the staff said, the boss wants to see you. <laughs> so uh, you marched anyway. into his office and what happened? Yeah, I thought, here, here we go. So I'll be marching out the revolving door shortly. And which was a stupid thing to do, taking that uh, the day off like I did. I'd never done it again anyway. But uh, and he just said, um, like one thing I want to say to you. And I said, oh, okay, what is it? He said, why didn't you tell me the horse could win? <laughs> <laughs> so that was it. So uh, you didn't think he could? <laughs> well, half the boys that, that owned Bill and Ribbon in the NRMA anyway, so couldn't keep it quiet. You know, it was all around the place. But uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, good story. Right, your first Group One winner was a filly called Lady Eclipse, after whom you named your Warwick Farm stables. How did you get hold of her? Um, I was just at Canterbury one morning. I was just finishing up and uh, it was a Friday morning and old Billy said to me, um, come at the shop and get some milk. So I said, okay. So I jumped in the car and young Billy was driving and old Bill was in the front and I'm in the back. And This is the Pickens she, we're talking about. This is this is the Pickens. So yep, yep. Straight straight past the shop and I said, there's a shop there. They said, no, we're going to Scone. I said, I can't go to Scone. I've got to go to work. And they said, no, no, you'll be right. I said, anyway. <laughs> so I rang up because there's no mobile phones. They pulled up and I got a phone box and rang up and said, look, I'm having a day off. I was in a pretty good position in the was in charge of departments and that sort of thing. And oh, yeah, you'd had a promotion by this, eh? <laughs> I had John I'd work my way up a little bit. Yeah. And uh, so we got the scan and it been raining and he said, I want you to look at these. I've just bought a horse out here called Red Tony, um, which is a habitat horse from Ireland. And mm. uh, he had five colts and six fillies. And nobody grabbed hold of them. They're just in the paddock walking around. And so we walked up and had a look and he said, pick one. And I said, what do you mean pick one? He said, pick a colt and pick a filly. And uh, I thought he just wanted me to pick what I thought was a, what I liked in him. And so I picked the colt and I picked the filly. And he said, I want, I forget, I can't think of the figure he wanted for the colt, but it turned out to be Fairy God, which is pretty pretty fair horse in the end. Mm, yeah. He won that Brambles Classic and some good races and, and – uh, and the, the filly I picked out was ended up being Lady Eclipse. So if I hadn't gone with him, mate, I wouldn't have got her. So a little bit of little bit of deja vu. Well, Lady Eclipse won the Group One Champagne Stakes for you. What a kick! Yeah, sure was, mate. It was uh, <coughs> incredible. It was an absolute bog the track and Neville Voigt. Actually, Neville been riding because she won the Magic Night um, before that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I nominated for the slipper, and in those days you used to put a check on the on the nomination form and hand it in the office at Canterbury, which was at the office down on the race course, not the main office where they you do all the you know memberships and that sort of thing. And mm-hmm. uh, somehow the the check got was pinned on there, but it come off, and they had the acceptance. So they rang me at ten to three, and they said, "Look, we've got your acceptance, but there's no check." Oh. I said, well, you can see what's been pinned onto the acceptance. And they said, oh, we can see the pin on, but there's no check, so we can't accept it. You accept it for the slipper. So mm. and that was out of the question then. So then I'd explain to the owners what had happened. And and I thought, well, I'll, nom- I'll do a late mum for the champagne stakes. Mm. And uh, so I did, and she came out and won that. So mm. probably if I run her in the slipper, she would, would have run into Sir Dapper that year and couldn't have won it anyway. So it exactly. probably, probably turned out good. Now, what happened to the Gregory Peck? Never found it, John. I ended, 
Jim Fleming uh, was the was the chairman at the time, and I even rang and asked to talk to him to see if I could get her in, and I just said, "Look, we can't do any for you." So, mm. probably if I was uh, Tommy Smith or somebody, they would have found the check or put it in. But anyway, that's the way it works. Mm-hmm. Right, I'll get you to stand by there. We'll pause just for a moment to clear a you. commitment on the podcast. Back in a moment. The sale that has produced the likes of the Autumn Sun, Merchant Navy, Estajard, Russian Revolution, Mosfun, Pino and Flying Artie in recent years has again attracted a stunning catalogue for 2019. The Australian Easter Yearling Sale catalogue is now available online and its depth and quality is again without peer in the Southern Hemisphere's Yearling Sale season. Among this year's spectacular Easter catalogue of 450 yearlings are 39 siblings to Group 1 winners like the Autumn Sun, Merchant Navy, Sunlight, Lankan Rupee, Brazen Bow, Shulls, Faulkner, Star Spangled Banner, Catchy, Dundeal, I Victory, Lucky Bubbles, Shooting to Win, She Will Reign, Seamus Award and Pino. There is also the progeny of 34 Group 1 winning mares such as Hasna, River Dove, Pear Tart, Our Egyptian Rain, Rostova, Steps in Time, Brazilian Pulse, Provocative, Headway and Dizel. Super Stallion Schnitzel is the leading sire with 37 entries while the ill-fated Sebring has 33. Fastnet Rock 31, I Am Invincible 31, there are 25 Vancouver's, 22 by Reduce Choice, 21 by Zoo Star, 19 by Medagliadoro, 19 by Pride of Dubai, So You Think has 18 in the catalogue and they round out the top 10. There is, as always, a strong international flavour with yearlings by the likes of Deep Impact, Frankel, Lord Canaloa, Tappet and Harbinger also catalogued. The 2019 Inglis Easter Yearling Sale is just bursting with quality. Look for the catalogue online. My guest is Rod Craig. Rod, a man called Frank Tagg became very heavily involved in racing around that time and uh, he was a multiple McDonald's franchisee and he got a few of his mates, fellow franchisees, to come on board and uh, he got into racing in a very big way. Is it fair to say that for quite a while uh, you trained exclusively for the group? I did, John. I think it was 88 or 89. Uh, Frank was an owner of mine and had a couple of shares and a couple of little horses with him. We were friends, we were mates. Um, and anyway, he just said to me one day, look, he said, I've got a couple of the other franchisees that's want to go a bit bigger and we're going to buy a place at Warry Farm. Do you want to be in it? And I said, I'll discuss it with my wife, Lynn. And so we did. And I said, okay, well, we're in. And uh, Les Young, who's a renowned bloodstock agent and a uh, lovely man, mm-hmm. he became our bloodstock agent and part of the, the business. And there was five of us at that time and, so we bought next to Sid Brown uh, uh, Home and Stables in Manning Street um, for Billy Mitchell. Billy had the stables at the time. Uh, so we bought that and we'd done the stables up a fair bit. And, and uh, I bought about 12 horses from Canterbury and, and then um, they started they started buying yearlings and Bubbler Point uh, was into the, into the frame at that time and he put a package together of five or six yearlings, which... Uh, a bit of a godsend because um, 
the five or six yearlings end up all winning races. Um, a couple of them quite clean. I think she won about nine in town. And um, uh, Winery, she won half a dozen. And Left Lead, he won quite a few. And uh, um, yes, yeah, so it turned out to be very, very good. Deep Pile, was she one of those? She was one of those, yep. Mm, one of the better ones, actually. Oh, wasn't she a good mare, Deep Pile? Yeah. She was by yeah. a horse called Plush. That's right, out of Deep Discovery. And I think Brian Mayfield Smith had won some races with her, and then she was transferred to you, and you won four or five more. Well, actually, I think about 12 horses come from Brian, and because uh, the boys told me they were swapping trainers, you're getting these horses to train because they had. They had a syndicate called Opmax Syndicate at the time, which was the McDonald's. Right. They had a lot of horses with Bob and, and they were all trained by Brian. And mm. they said, ring him and tell him you're taking the horses. <laughs> I thought, oh, here he goes. Oh. And uh, to Brian's credit, when I rang, he said, I know what's going on, Rod. He said, I've got them all ready to come. And he didn't want to know about them. Just yeah. ask me. I'll tell you where they're up to. It was fantastic. Yeah, so, can't ask any more than that. Great bloke, mate. Great yeah, bloke. Wonderful He certainly trainer. is. Oh, wasn't he a great trainer? Three premierships at the expense of Tommy Smith. Yeah, yes. Now, Rod, your association with Frank Tagg and the McDonald's group came to an end and you had to set about rebuilding the stable. Pretty tough going at the time. A a filly called Saraband eased the pain a little bit. She did, John, yes. Um, I think we had about 80 horses on our books in those days and – I had a disagreement with them. They wanted to go another direction. Um, they wanted to run a little more like a McDonald's rest, like a store, and it couldn't work that way in my book, and I could see myself going backwards. So it got to the stage where something had to give, and it was me. So I ended up walking out without a head collar, Lee, or whatever, you know. Gee. And uh, I had a filly there called Sarah Band, and Joe Thomas uh, was the head of the syndicate with Phil Gould and um, – uh, a couple of other, uh, Dave Gillespie and Johnny Cartwright, uh, really good guys. Uh, they owned the horse with a couple of their um, uh, friends. Uh, anyway, uh, they rang me and said, we bought the horse for you, get it out the place. So I walked back on the Sunday morning and walked up to one of my old foremen and I said, uh, i got a horse to pick up. They said, which one? I said, you got any gear? I said, no. Um, so they said, he's head collar and leading a rare bit. Goodness so I walked, I walked out the gate up Manning Street and I thought, well, what am I going to go to now? And uh, so I didn't sort of plan on the horse ever getting out the place. And uh, mm. so I'm walking up and Ronnie Lehman said, where are you going? I said, I'm looking for a stable. He said, in my place. And, uh, Sid Brown said, you can come here. So they're coming out from everywhere, you know. And mm. So I went with Ronnie Lehman and, uh, yes, yeah, she came out and won her first two or three races ridden by Mark DeMonte, who was good mates of Joey Thomas and the boys. And yeah. Yeah, so uh, one door closes, another one opens. Oh, yeah, it was, it was all meant to happen, Rod, because yep. God had other plans for you. He wanted you to train a multiple group one winner, and we'll get to him in a moment. But before we do that, before we profile your horse in a million, let's acknowledge the second best performer to ever come out of your stable, your apprentice, your jockey, your friend, Craig Carmody. Yeah, wonderful boy. Um, terrific kid he was. Uh, come to me from school through uh, uh, through his uncle, actually. He came and asked me, could I give the young bloke a bit of a educational push into racing? And uh, so he'd come down the street one day on his skateboard and 
and uh, come and see me. And I said, oh, well, you know, start of, start about four tomorrow morning, but Dewey by, be here by six. So next morning I got there about 10 to four, and here he is sitting there waiting for me. Was he? With, really? his, skate, with his skateboard. Yeah. And uh, so I just sort of, you know, showed him how to muck out a box and clean up and hose down and that sort of stuff. And he said, I know how to do all that. When's the real stuff start? So. <laughs> Did he? So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, my father was uh, he was my best mate because he used to come and do the boxes every morning. He, he was retired in those days and yeah. he'd do all the boxes and make the coffee and sweep up and everything. So he took him under his wing and mm. he spent a few months just doing that. And then um, he couldn't ride, so I had a pony there. I used to just walk in around with a pony in the daytime. And mm. I was breaking a horse in, uh, an Indigo's horse, actually, I can't think of his name. And mm. uh, I bought it for Billy Picking and uh, I'd had him mouthed up and I thought I'll ride him this afternoon. And we had a, uh, Gary Nixon and Bruce Cross and that. We used to share it around yards. And uh, so I mounted him up and I went up to phone somebody up, just left him in the yard for 10 minutes. And I come back and here's Craig on him. Mm. And uh, nearly had a heart attack, you know, but that's the sort of kid he was. He was just natural to it. Yeah. So, did you say an intergaze horse or, or did yeah, you mean was, an Integra yeah. horse? No, uh, sorry, 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 John. An, an Integra horse. Yeah. An Integra, yeah, of course. Yes. We've we got Funny a generation man. ahead of ourselves. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> now, um, Craig rocketed to stardom uh, midway through his apprenticeship when an advertising agency was casting for an apprentice jockey to star in a lavish telecom commercial. And Craig Carmody got the job. He had a successful audition and that commercial became widely known and he was very highly regarded for, for a fine performance. Yeah, he was a natural actor, John. Um, he could take off anybody. He could uh, thought he could sing, but he couldn't. But uh, he could <laughs> he, anything he put his hand to, he could, he could get away with, you know. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he, he obtained that, that job, and we all put horses into it for the for the commercial, and was was taken at Ramwick, and uh, it was quite exciting to see that they go through uh, to, to do those sort of things for a, a one minute ad. It took about a week, I think, and yeah, and uh, yeah, very exciting. But he he had only had one take of it. They didn't even ask him to do it again because he could uh, he didn't have to say a lot in it, but he just put it over well. Yeah. Actually, it, because it was a telecom ad, Malcolm Johnson nicknamed him Beeper, and that was his <laughs> that was his nickname in the jockeys room for years. It stuck forever, absolutely. Yeah. I know he he was a natural actor. He he made Sir Lawrence Olivia look like a ham. <laughs> he did, mate. <laughs> <laughs> now, Rod, a bloke <laughs> called Peter Bennett was indirectly yeah. responsible for bringing intergaze into your life. You flipped the horse in a paddock at Scone. Yeah, I did, John. Yeah, he was too, Pete. Lovely bloke. Um, he, he was. He's got a pretty good. He's a good real estate agent, and uh, mm. he's still got a good business now, actually. And uh, very quiet person. But he just come to me one day and he said, "Look, I bought this property at Scone called Middlebrook Valley Lodge." He said, "I want you to come up and look at these yearlings I got and give me your opinion." Mm. And uh, I was that flat out with the horses and I didn't really have much time. And he said, Friday week. And I said, okay. So Friday week turns up and I never give it another thought. And he's out the front and I walk out and he said, you ready to go? I said, um, go where? He said, Scone. I said, oh, gee, mate. I said, I'm flat out. He said, oh, don't let me down. He said, Helen and John Page were supposed to come with us and somebody else and they, they couldn't go. So come on. So I said, up we go. And 
he pulled about seven horses out the barn, three colts, uh, sorry, five, five colts and about, uh, there was more than seven, there was about five fillies. So it was about 12, 10 or 12 altogether. Mm. And the only one that took me, I was the colt. And I just said, don't bother showing me the rest, how much you want for him. And he said, I want 15,000. And I said, uh, I'll haggle with him here a bit. I said, 12. He said, 15 and I'll break it in. I said, okay. Mm. So um, that was it. <laughs> And it turned out to be Indigo's. Mm, that was it, all right. Rod, uh, for your edification, we can't fit your story in one segment. So this is the end of part one. And when we come back for part two, we're going to talk about the horse that made Rod Craig realise his life's dream as a horse trainer, a mighty performer, a genuine, hardy, tough, hard-trying horse by the name of Intergaze, who finished up winning eight Group 1s. Part 2 with Rod Craig coming up shortly. The sale that has produced the likes of the Autumn Sun, Merchant Navy, Esther Jarb, Russian Revolution, Moss Fun, Pino and Flying Artie in recent years has again attracted a stunning catalogue for 2019. The Australian Easter Yearling Sale catalogue is now available online and its depth and quality is again without peer in the Southern Hemisphere's Yearling Sale season. Among this year's spectacular Easter catalogue of 450 yearlings are 39 siblings to Group 1 winners like the Autumn Sun, Merchant Navy, Sunlight, Lankan Rupee, Brazen Bow, Shulls, Faulkner, Star Spangled Banner, Catchy, Dundeal, I Victory, Lucky Bubbles, Shooting to Win, She Will Reign, Seamus Award and Pino. There is also the progeny of 34 Group 1 winning mares such as Hasna, River Dove, Pear Tart, Our Egyptian Rain, Rostova, Steps in Time, Brazilian Pulse, Provocative, Headway and Dizelle. Super Stallion Schnitzel is the leading sire with 37 entries while the ill-fated Sebring has 33. Fastnet Rock 31, I Am Invincible 31, there are 25 Vancouver's, 22 by Reduce Choice, 21 by Zoo Star, 19 by Medagliadoro, 19 by Pride of Dubai, So You Think has 18 in the catalogue and they round out the top 10. There is, as always, a strong international flavour with yearlings by the likes of Deep Impact, Frankel, Lord Canaloa, Tappet and Harbinger also catalogued. The 2019 English Easter Yearling Sale is just bursting with quality. Look for the catalogue online. <laughs> 